You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch and discuss a drive-in double feature consisting of two films randomly selected from a list of over 1,700. We are brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Patrick, and I am joined by... The handsome young dove, Joshua Ramos. Of GSC, of course. Of course. Josh, you are our first returning guest... I'm glad to be here. There's no place that? <laughs> I'd rather be. I'm, I'm fucking super hyped, actually. All right, yeah. Well, we are talking about Halloween 2 and The Stuff, a couple of 80s horror classics, if you will. And, uh, you know, I was going to originally have you on for a different episode, but I was listening to our, you know, the episode we did to start off the season on Halloween and The House by the Cemetery, and you sounded pretty hyped about halloween 2 so i didn't want to take this away from you yeah i mean halloween 2 is so goddamn good i was watching it last night and it's just so many scenes just hit me like this is just incredible filmmaking i had to sit there and think you know i've been saying halloween and scream are my my two favorite horror movies but i don't know halloween 2 i mean wow there's some absurd parts there's some parts that are really forgettable but there's some parts that i truly truly love Especially in looking back now in relation to watching Halloween Kills and seeing the parallels and the things that they go for. Yeah, Halloween Kills follows this formula in a lot of ways, departs in a lot of ways, obviously. But yeah, this is so we kind of teased our opinions on Halloween 2 in the Halloween episode. You said you loved it, and it sounds like now that you even love it even more than you did then. I said I'm not the biggest fan of it, and I kind of stand by that. I I don't think it's great, but, you know, we we can get into this as we go through the plot. Yeah, we can. We can do that because, I don't know, I'm going to try to change your mind. I think it's, I mean, there's some really silly, silly things that happen and set up the franchise, but overall what it's known for, I think it does very, very, very well. All right, well, uh, why don't you start us off then? I mean, Halloween 2, it picks up, it's made two years after the original, but it's literally the night of, picks up exactly where Halloween 1 ended. It even does, shows the same shots for a bit, and then switches the vantage point. Mm -hmm. So we got Loomis, he's lighting up Michael, he says he hits him six times, I count five, I don't know if that first shot hit him. Yeah, there's an inconsistency Right, The, the first shot didn't hit him, I was confused by that. Uh, but he says he got him six times, you know, there's blood on the ground, uh, Loomis is stunned, you know, where's this guy at? And it just picks up right from there, and it, it, it's, it goes, it goes. They really start, they're calling the sheep, you don't know what death is, he's not human, like... That's a, that's a, um, fun moment there. It's really... The, the, when the neighbor comes up to him, and, and that's a great... He's like, yeah, he's like, is this a joke? I've been trick-or-treated too many times or some shit, like... I've been trick-or-treated to death today, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to say. Nobody talks but like it that. sets up, But it sets up the wonderful line, you don't know what death is. Yeah, I mean, and then right after that, the, the opening sequence. First, I was like, this is whatever, this is the standard. I forgot that it does the transition to the skull inside the pumpkin Mm -hmm. and that was truly yeah truly freaky as hell overall the pumpkin is less janky looking too than in the original the original pumpkin it's it's kind of has like a hair lip kind of thing this looks like just a better jack-o'-lantern if you will i was watching the literally just before we did this i was sitting on the couch watching that netflix show about like something about the movies we love or something and i watched the halloween episode i'll never watch that yeah i I don't know why i had an hour to kill 
and I said, how should I do this? And then my HBO Max... I had an hour to kill before doing this episode, and I just watched one of the ghoul logs on Shudder, because why not? I was trying to watch a Sopranos episode, but I, I did not... Uh, the roommate did not update the HBO uh, bill or pay it or some shit, so <laughs> that needs to be handled at some point. Okay. Yeah. How, are, how else are you going to watch Fun Home? But I was watching that... Um, halloween documentary and they said they were struggling to find pumpkins in the original one because they were out of season when they filmed it okay sure so maybe that's why it was janky yeah so i want to talk about the the halloween theme because this movie has essentially the same score as the original it's john carpenter obviously again john carpenter is not acting as director on this movie he wrote it or co-wrote it maybe he's producing and he's doing the score Carpenter, you know, when when you think of a John Carpenter score, you think of like very synthy, you know, like Christine or Escape from New York, very very synthy scores. The original Halloween was much more piano. There's a little bit of synth, but that's mostly like in the background. Like the the driving kind of instrument is just like a traditional piano, and then here it's it's kind of like it's just the synth update on like all the tracks that we heard in the original. And I think for the most part, I don't like the sound of them as much. Although I do like the Halloween 2 theme that we hear, that we hear here, mostly because I love like the buildup, like the really slow, you just hear that like kind of riff just done really slow and deep a few times before the song really kicks in. And I just think that's really neat. It's, they were officially in the 80s. So, you know, Carpenter really went balls to the walls with the sense and, you know, he's trying to just keep up with the times. Arguably, no one did it better. I mean, he still can crush a, a soundtrack to this day, his old ass. I wasn't a huge fan of that. I was kind of disappointed by the Halloween Kills soundtrack, but I thought the 2018 Halloween soundtrack was outstanding. I thought that's one of his best scores. I can get behind that. Halloween Kills was it was fine. So we're, we start off, uh, Michael's on the run. He's, just, he's five, potentially six, but I don't think so. Six shots in. And we got these great menacing POV shots. Uh, he goes into the old couple's house and steals mm-hmm. a knife while the husband was passing out to the Romero movie, Night of the Living yeah. Dead, and then the news... The the number one film shown within other films. It's it's a, a wonderful what Public Domain has done for that movie. It just pops up in every movie now. Yeah, it really does. Like It really does. But I'm shocked that Michael didn't kill that couple. Like, why? Yeah. That was... Uh, I try to put my myself in his shoes, no easy task for a sane person, and I just, I don't know why he let them rock, like there was really no reason, it would have been a fast, easy kill. Yes. I've never seen him kind of do something like that, uh, for adults, I should say, because there's been some children. Yeah, because he does leave the, he leaves the baby. He leaves in, the babies in, in, in 2018. And he leaves the babies in the hospital later on in this flick alone. That's right, yeah, I wasn't thinking of that. I don't know why he let those people go. Like, I found that to be strange writing there. That's fair, but I, I, I like this scene. I think it's almost more effective than if he were to kill them. I love, like, the old lady is just kind of, like, looking away, and then she tries to, she slides her hand back towards, like, her knife. And not a, not, it's not a safe, nice there. practice to do that. To no, no, it's, well, you Slide know, your hand I mean, towards the knife without looking. I mean, it's not like the knife is actively like moving on its own ordinarily i mean i don't recommend this knife practice but 
I think you're. I, I think the odds of severely injuring yourself aren't that high normally. I also find it incredible that you know, on a night of mischief, a Halloween night, that this girl Sally, no, not Sally, Alice, who lives next door to this old couple, just leaves her front door open for him to just walk right in. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I live in a, a, a drinking that night. Who knows? It's just I cannot imagine leaving my doors unlocked. Like, what's up with the this community of of white folk? You know, well, peaceful Illinois town. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really register with someone who is from the Bronx or someone like myself who lived in not a great neighborhood in Milwaukee. Like, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But hey, you know, it's a simpler time, seventy eight or eighty one slash seventy eight. But that was a nice little kill, like a little pop-up from the side, stab through the chest or throat or whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. I love that. It was it was quick. It, I was expecting him to come a little bit. It came maybe a second before I expected it. Got me a little jump. I appreciated that. Right. And Sally on the phone, she was a great friend. She was like, what's going on? Where are you? She didn't hang up. She didn't say, like, stop like messing with me. Like, I know you're joking. Like, Sally was actually concerned. <laughs> And I'm sorry that she had to, you know, have that trauma, I guess, when she finds out her friend was murdered by Michael Myers. Until, of course, it gets retconned and then this movie doesn't matter anymore. And then we're in, then we're at Lori's being taken away. She's going to the, the clinic, as they call it. They don't even say hospital, I don't think. Like, at, vocally, they usually say. Okay, because the the sign says the, Haddonfield the, Memorial Hospital. They've got a cool symbol. The sign. The, the, HMH. The sign says it, but then the people say clinic a lot for some reason. Okay. I never really understood that either. Those are different things, technically speaking. Yeah, very, very different things. But then this guy, Jimmy, the ambulance guy, is falling, like, instantly in love with... Oh, yeah, Lance Guest. With a, with a bloody, passed-out woman. Very kind of creepy when you think about it. A lot of... Well, yeah, we, we got to talk about this, too, for a second that the um she's a high school girl this this is a theme in the halloween movies yes you just pointed out she's in high school in halloween 2018 and halloween kills we have the a character that doesn't exist in this movie but you know according to that movie's world he's a police officer here at this time he was like in love with her in halloween kills they like hint at some or not even hint at they're like talking about how he was like into her but she was more into ben tramer you know more on him in a bit of course but in the best scene <laughs> of the movie but it's like that's weird to me he's like a cop he's you know maybe he's early 20s but he's a police officer she's like in high school i you know i and then and then this ambulance guy too young guy sure but pizza gate <laughs> oh no <laughs> well we had the we had the pedophile line in halloween with bob yeah he was talking about taking off Lindsay's clothes yes. you know the six-year-old girl i forgot about that but yes it always gets buried <laughs> deep in my brain wow i was just listening to our episode uh <laughs> earlier today and yeah you you did not let that one go and i don't blame you it's a weird weird moment john carpenter that. must answer these questions while he's still here with us <laughs> So the ambulance guy, he uh, the guy Jimmy, he takes them uh, to the clinic, to the hospital, and weirdly enough, the doctor, before he gives her a drug to you know knock her out, he takes a, a, a sample of her blood. Very like, yeah. very strange thing. You never see that happen. And I, I wonder if that's like a foreshadowing to the 
ridiculous plots of the fourth and the fifth movies. Like I, I can't quite recall if it or more more the sixth. That's probably if if you really had to tie it to yeah, like a plot, which which means there's no real tie. There can't be like I don't know what yeah what was going on with that move. The the drawing of the blood was so strange. Like and it lasted a few more than a few seconds. It like made me think like what is this for? And then, you know, if the patient's saying, you know, I don't want to go to sleep, is it ethical to knock them out like that? She's not, like, really hysterical. She's not, like, um, she's not a, think, she's not a harm to herself or others. So why are, they, why are they putting her to sleep? Right, yeah. I feel like there are instances where someone requires surgery and they need to be put to sleep for that surgery and they might, like, protest, but you need to go ahead there. But, yeah, what are they doing exactly here? They're just... They're drawing blood and knocking her out. Although, to be fair... If we're, you know, removing ourselves from the movie a bit and we're looking at Laurie not as Laurie but as Jamie Lee Curtis, I get the impression in this movie that she would not rather do anything but sleep. She's sleep for most of the movie. She doesn't seem committed in this movie. I, I, I get the sense, and it's that's why it's great that she's come back to the Halloween series, but I get the sense here in 1981 after she had done not just the original Halloween but she did Terror Train, Prom Night, maybe one or two other horror movies. I think she was like kind of done with this kind of thing, and I think she wanted to be at this time. I'm guessing like a more serious actress, and then you know, Trading Places, you know, uh, Fish Called Wanda. She does like all those things later. But yeah, I, I get the sense that she's just like she kind of seems like she was just contractually obligated to be here she doesn't really want to be here she's wearing a wig too which looks awful it did look awful it looked awful it looks so bad you know sometimes she's just here so she's not getting fun you know but she did fine she she her lack of energy her lack of emotion can just all be you know, some right. it's her. explained with the plot because she's, she's all drugged up and sedated and injured. Yeah, yeah. that's I mean, that's true. She's having just, a long ass night. Maybe it's the wig more than anything. That's like, oh, she she couldn't even get her hair to be in the same style that it was in 78. She doesn't care that much. So then we're back into the streets of Haddonfield and Loomis is out here. He's having a little dick measuring contest with the with the sheriff. Like um, at, I'm at that about at that place where I stopped taking like fucking uh orders from you and then loomis spots some kid on the street wearing a mask and decides that he's michael myers yeah. and, and he... well well, do we, well hang on we got we got to go slow here because this is the best scene in motion picture history this guy is dressed a hundred percent like michael myers the mask he's even like wearing like a boiler suit kind of thing the difference is he appears to be like five foot seven probably Whereas Michael's like this big guy, you know, he's not like a giant like he is in, in some of the sequels. Obviously, we know, we the audience know he's not Michael Myers. Plus, he's got the mask has blonde hair. Yeah, the mask is a little different. He's got a bag of candy. Yeah. Like that can't be, you know, anything that Michael would ever have. Well, but Michael could have picked that up at any time. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily blame Loomis for at least initially thinking it's him I don't blame him for that I just it's more just like a why is he dressed like this like what is like I get it the William Shatner mask that Michael Myers took was a Halloween mask sure it was available for sale Michael stole it from the drugstore or whatever so yeah the, the the mask was selling it's less that it's more like what's he going as <laughs> He's just wearing a boiler suit. It's like he's dressing up as Michael Myers, like he saw the movie. 
you know, maybe it gets meta and meta. That's maybe that's what. Well, that's Scream. that's not even the best part of the scene, of course. No, the best part of the scene is the incredible explosion. It, it was like you know TNT or some a grenade, more than a grenade, would cause a fire that large. That fire burned that person so fast he was burnt in like less yeah. than thirty seconds. Because Loomis is chasing him, and he wanders out into the middle of the road. Gets not really running. Slammed by a car going what might have been 70 to 80 miles an hour. Yeah, a a police car. And then he gets, not only does he get hit by a car, but he gets smashed into a truck, which is in the middle of the road. And my favorite little thing about this scene is when the driver gets out, he's like, oh, I didn't see him. They came out of nowhere. And it's like, (laughs) so he was just, if he wasn't there, he would have just hit the bus or the the, the truck, excuse me, the van, whatever it was. He would have just hit that going 60 or 70 miles miles an hour, whether or not he hit this guy. So someone would have died here at any rate. Yeah, just an incredible, incredible filmmaking. Then all of a sudden, (laughs) and then the next thing you know, the sheriff. One of the most random scenes out there, and I don't know how intentional the humor is because i laugh hysterically every time i see this yeah and then immediately after that when you're laughing all of a sudden the sheriff gets told that his daughter was found uh, as one of the dead teenagers which is right very sobering moment that you know it brings you right back into dan michael's out here fucking up lives destroying lives and you know he goes off to deal with that and then we're back in the hospital Jamie or Lori is woken up. She has a crack bone in her ankle. It's not broken. And Jimmy, lover boy, making eyes at the high school girl, is off to find her mm-hmm. a Coke. He promises to get her a Coke. He'll be back eventually. This is also, or maybe it's not this scene, but it's at some point when she's lying in bed in the hospital. But this is where she learns that the person who attacked her was Michael Myers. And... I'm pointing that out in because we just talked about the scene where the sheriff learns about his daughter, but that this is obviously a very faithful sequel in in that like uh, if maybe if John Carpenter weren't around, you write a sequel to this movie even if it takes place you know a continuation the night of you'd probably have it where Laurie knows who Michael Myers is already and the sheriff already knew his daughter's dead but then it's like you realize oh neither of those things are covered in the first movie lori never has any idea who this guy is and and the sheriff never learns about his daughter and so it's kind of neat that those that those thing that those moments come in this movie and it kind of makes you think like oh yeah i guess i guess we didn't have that in the original like i i, I kind of forget about that but like right after that happens one of my favorite things in the movies happens you get you get the uh, the newscasters and the reporters outside of the scene, and the sheriff pulls up and looks at his daughter and closes her eyes. It's really sad, but oh yeah, it's well acted too by uh, Charles Cyphers playing the sheriff. He, I don't think we really talked about him as an actor in the when we talked about the first Halloween, but he's he's good. But the the reporter sit shots, they're just like Scream. They're just like the Scream reporter shots, like yes. right on site. Yeah. Just talking about what's going on, like, there's people dead, but it's just entertainment. Like, it's so Scream in that moment. I've never really noticed it. And I saw that, I was like, this is Scream. I want to watch Scream. Also, we've got a cameo here, a blink-and-you'd-miss-it cameo, and and a cameo where, honestly, if you see it, you could miss it. Because it's not really a cameo, because he's not famous yet. But the cameraman in this scene is Dana Carvey. No way. Future SNL star. I missed it. Future mike myers collaborator not michael myers and it's weird but we've got two 
SNL actors in, in our movies tonight. Because we got Garrett Morris in The Stuff. The Stuff has some crazy actors in it. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. But then uh, we're back with Loomis again. He's talking about Michael the Animal. He admits he was obsessed. I feel like it's the worst thing ever as a doctor to admit that you were obsessed with your patient. I feel like they'd take you right away from him, but you know, this is... I mean, it worked out okay for Freud. That is true, that is true. That was a hundred years ago, but <laughs> whatever. Then, uh, you know, Michael bumps, or we're back on Michael, he bumps into the boombox kid. He's walking right past people. Iconic moment there. He's a regular old dude walking around, and he's headed straight to the hospital. I always forget the boombox scene comes from this movie, because that's one that gets imitated a lot in future sequels. Yeah, it does. And almost everything in this series is just borrowed from the original. There are some exceptions, but like almost every, all of the classic Halloween iconography and everything comes from the original. This is a movie with kind of a lot of sequels that aren't all that ambitious and just kind of do the same thing over and over again. So yeah, there's a couple little moments like that in here where it's like, oh yeah, this kind of goes on to be classic in its own right. Yeah, now we're uh, we're introduced to the hospital regulars. We got Jimmy's partner, the kind of sleazy, kind of scumbaggy kind of guy. I don't even know if they even use his name. Bud. Bud. So I thought they were just calling him Bud like, hey, Bud. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, I mean, he's credited as Bud. Bud. Bud kind of sucked, but he, I think he was hooking up with Karen, <laughs> banging out Karen. And Jimmy gets mad at him because he's not taking the people's death seriously, and Bud's like, whatever, man, there's always going to be dead bodies rolling through. That's life. Just kind of a nihilistic kind of douchebag. Bud's kind of the equivalent of uh, Bob in the original, because Bob was the one that, as we pointed out with the pedophile line you know he joked about things that he shouldn't have joked about in that movie that is true that is true correct that's a good parallel and then we got michael in the hospital and he's looking around seeing kind of i think he's kind of just like surveying the scene and he's by the babies he's counting the nurses he's figuring out how many people's got to kill we got that one black nurse mrs uh what is her name mrs something she's octavia spencer Imagine. <laughs> well, no, it's Octavia Spencer in the Rob Zombie Halloween. That is true. Yes, yes, she does. I can't remember which. In the first one. Okay. Yeah, I don't think Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 doesn't take place in the hospital. I, I've seen those movies only once, so I don't remember them too well. The second one is he's like on the run for two to three years, and then he decides to come back. And... I just remember he, you know, he shows up at a strip club in, in Halloween 2, in that Halloween 2, I believe. So then uh, the phone lines are cut. Mr. Garrett, the portly security guard man, has to go investigate what's going on. And we have one of the best uh, one of the best kills. Like, I keep thinking this guy's going to die. He's hearing things. He's in a place with tools that could be used as weapons. He's looking behind doors. He's real paranoid. He's telling the girl on the radio to go to the sheriff. And she can't tell shit because the frequencies are all messed up or something like that. And then Garrett gets a little hammer through the head. But I really thought he was going to, like, this is the exact opposite of the kill before when he killed, you know, Alice in her crib where it happened a second before I thought, where I just kept waiting and waiting. And at some point, oh, okay. my, my guard kind of went down because I, I, I just kept waiting for too long. And then it got me with, like, another good mm-hmm. another good jump. And I loved it. It's, like, one of the best kills. And I feel like it's one of those kills that also gets repeated in later movies where someone goes into investigates and some white guy... Like, I think it's Halloween, <laughs> Curse of Michael Myers, and the guy goes in his basement. Very similar kill there, I feel like. Oh, well, I mean, his head explodes in that, so it's a little bit different. 
So then Michael's just, you know, biding his time. He's making his way around. They have the jacuzzi death where Bud kills uh, Karen. Well, first he kills Michael. Bud. Michael kills Bud. Yeah, Bud doesn't. Michael <laughs> Bud kills doesn't Bud. Kill Karen. They're making out in the ho- in the jacuzzi <laughs> in the hospital. I didn't know hospitals had jacuzzis. I think they called it. I think it's like a it's rehab. Like a ther- it's like a therapy thing. They say. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the implication. Michael turns up the heat, Karen's like, yeah. go check it out, and Bud's like, the heat's just me, because he's a sleazy douchebag kind of joke, and then yeah. he goes to check it out, and you kind of see Michael strangle Bud in the background, you don't get to see the violence itself, it's like kind of in the foreground, uh, the background, I think is a really nice touch, and then he comes in and, you know, lays his hand on Karen's shoulder, and she's kissing it, and then, I don't know how she doesn't realize the hand's dirty, and disgusting looking and i assume rough skin and then she yeah. looks up and then next thing you know he's dunking her face into the into the, the hot tub and it's too hot it burns her yeah scalds her it's um there's a moment like that in uh, deep red the dario argento movie where someone gets like scalded to death in a hot bath i don't know if he put her down there long enough for her to die that fast but that's just my take no that's that's probably true but what do i know i i would imagine there's very serious injuries at the very least. And then that's when we get to the really dumb part about the movie that would also make the franchise go kind of dumb when Michael broke into the school and he wrote the Sam, mm, yeah, he wrote the yeah. Sam Hain shit on the wall. It's like, well, f- well, okay. Look, let me, <laughs> let my Irish ass correct you here. It's pronounced Sawin, oh. but you wouldn't know that watching this movie because Dr. Loomis Calls it Sam Hain. He calls it Sam Hain straight up. Yeah, which you know he's he's obviously he's a British actor. You know maybe he's intentionally disrespecting the Irish. Who knows? But um, no, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think they call they say it right in Halloween three. I think it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but yeah, it's kind of distracting that he says it wrong. But yeah, why does he write it on the board? It really doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, well, who, like, who's what's the he... message for? <laughs> Yeah. Like, what's that all about? But we get the cool flashbacks of Lori in her catatonic state, kind of recalling that, you know, Michael's her brother. She, like, visited him when he was very small. Yeah. And he looks back at her with this creepy-ass smile. But, like, how did she suppress that memory to that point? Like, you know. Yeah, that's a... I like to think I understand yeah. trauma. Because she's not, like, a baby. No, she would have been, like... She's not a baby. She would have been, like, not that much younger. She would have probably been, like, 10 or something. Well, yeah, when well when she sees... I can't remember the scene that well, but I, I think she's like maybe like five when she goes there. But yeah, I guess the, I don't know, what what's she like five years younger than Michael? Something like that, four or five years younger? No, yeah, I think four, yeah, four, year, four years. Okay, so she's born after he's locked up and she goes and visits him for some reason. Why? I guess this is before the Myers parents completely gave up on him. I mean, we obviously know Loomis gives up apparently before they do loomis right away is just like that yeah he's, he was evil i could tell right away but it also kind of begs the question what hap would they say what happens to the myers parents because laurie gets adopted i think they died what they died in an accident did they die yeah. oh, okay I, I just couldn't remember that i'm sure you're right it's a car crash i believe which is also the excuse that's that true. she used in halloween h2o i was gonna say it's just like in baby driver wow what a reference <laughs> This is a better movie than this. Oh, that's a wild take. Wild take. But then Mike. How is that wild? Because this is Halloween 2, Patrick. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. It's not Halloween 1. Halloween 2, in my opinion, 
is a top three Halloween movie. Maybe top four. I would say I would say it's top four or five. I would say obviously nothing for me compares with the original. Obviously. I would say twenty eighteen and Halloween three are kind of vying for that number two spot. Halloween three is an abomination. No, it's great. It's just different. And then Halloween four and Halloween two are vying for that number four and five spot. I would say Halloween one, Halloween twenty eighteen, Halloween. To 1981, and then I'll throw in uh, Halloween H2O with my man Josh Hart and LL Cool J. I and en- I enjoy H2O. H2O's great. Yeah, actually, you know what? H- I, I think I do H2O's like great. H2O more than Halloween two and four. I think H2O but it's is great. probably not a better movie. I just enjoy it a bit more. It's something it's like so 90s and so like 90s done, and it's like really good. It really takes me the back. The worst Michael Myers mask ever. It's so bad. It's like CG in a few shots. It looks so bad. But then uh, so we're in the hospital. He's killing the. He killed Bud. He killed Karen. Now he, the, uh, one of the nurse finds Doctor dead and stabbed in the eye before she could even do anything about it. Michael's there in the blackness. I love how he just pops up out of the blackness. Like it really makes me mm-hmm. look around like my crib sometimes and wonder like, yeah, was there someone standing in the dark? Should be making me paranoid as fuck. But I love it. And he killed the nurse the same way. Needle do that to the not directly in her eye. It's more like in her temple. Yeah, Temple. And uh, she goes down. Jimmy, uh, he's been running around. He's uh, He looks for a nurse. He finds the black lady nurse. She's bled out all over the fucking floor. And Jimmy falls and he gets knocked out. And we finally learn that Lori is the sister. And Dr. Loomis is ordered back to, I think, the, the, the hospital by the governor. And he finds out from his old colleague that Michael had a sister. There was a file that even you didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. Don't know why they would do. Why. I don't know what the big conspiracy was to hide this girl. Like unless they expected yeah. her to want him to one day break out. Like that part didn't really make sense either. Yeah, Loomis was the, probably the only one who suspected that kind of thing. I think everyone else at the at Smith's Grove Sanitarium probably thinks Loomis is a little crazy, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he is a little crazy, more than a little crazy. But yeah, so Lori as Michael Myers' sister, this seems like a very post-Empire Strikes Back twist, you know? I, I understand why it's there. I understand John Carpenter writing the script. He's like, listen, there's no plot left. There's there's literally no plot in this movie, so we kind of have to have some kind of development somewhere. And I mean, he did what he could, but I also think the newer movies choosing to ignore this is not a bad idea because I think this is kind of kind of a lame plot development in my opinion. I don't like hate it the way some people do, but it's kind of stupid and especially when you factor in like, well Lori had these suppressed memories and what Lori was born after he was like locked up. Like it's just it's just weird. It is weird. It's not the best done. I don't hate it. I also don't love it. I thought it was fun. I thought it kind of made sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess I like the idea of Michael being a more random kind of killing machine or, or more just unmotivated, I guess. As soon as the sequel, you know, was centered around him going to the hospital to seek her out, there had to be some sort of connection there at that point, I think. That's true. That's But that's, that's what's cool about true. Halloween Kills is that they're like, oh, haha, there is no connection, bitches. And well, that's that's what kind of wasn't great about Halloween 2018 is that Michael had no reason to seek out Lori, so they kind of had that stupid twist with the doctor there to bring him to her. Like, that didn't really work. Yeah, that was weird. That was a weird part of the flick. There were so many kills in Halloween 2018. 
there are so many more, I feel like, in Halloween Kills. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. yeah, they really ramped up the killing in these ones. Halloween Kills was like if uh, Lucio Fulci directed a Halloween movie, going back to our House by the Cemetery discussion. I really enjoyed a lot of the kills in Halloween Kills. I just thought the plot was silly. Oh, it's it, the movie's got, got many problems. You know, Lori, she knows Michael's on to her. She faked her bed to make it look like she was in it. It was just pillows. He stabbed it. He knows that she knows. You know, she's all over the place. She's outside, hiding in the car. Jimmy comes into the car. He's concussed. He passes out. Michael's alerted to the presence. Uh, Loomis eventually shows up at the hospital, realizing that Michael was going to go there to track his sister down. Jamie's outside, or Lori's outside, banging on the door to get in, because Michael's chasing, well, chasing, walking her down very fast. And she gets in just in time. Loomis, you know, once again, he opens the clip. All shots hit Michael. He goes down. The deputy he's with, Loomis is saying, don't go near him. Guy's like, he's not breathing. Fucking Michael slices yeah. his goddamn throat open. <laughs> That's a neat shot. I like the way he, I, I, I don't know, I like the way Michael moves in that scene. Michael's the coolest moving slasher ever. It's just, it's no debate. The shape just is so cool. I don't know, I like um, Matthew Lillard falling down and tripping over everything. <laughs> I do love Ghostface's frantic run. His very frantic runs. But there's something so, there's something <laughs> so like, I don't know, if I saw Ghostface, like, I would know that I would, like, get into, like, a, a scuffle with them. Like, they're so frantic and, like, their movements are so anxious and, like, fearful of what they're doing at the same time. Like, it just seems so much more human. There's a there's a visible craziness to, to the way the yes. best Ghostface actors move. But the way Michael moves, it's just so not human. Like, humans just don't move that way. Sure. And it's awesome. But then, uh, you know, Michael chases Lori and Loomis down, and she shoots his eyes blind, which is, again, I don't know, you shoot someone in the face two times, like, you think that they would die. Yeah, this this scene, oh man, this is kind of rough. Apparently she shoots him, I guess she shoots his eyes out, like, a la Christmas Story. But then he just, like, starts blindly swinging the scalpel around and it just goes on forever it's kind of it does go it this goes is on kind of a lame way too climax long. and then loomis sets the gas well they yeah because they have this back and forth of like when he's getting closer to Lori, uh loomis starts getting his attention and then he gets like closer to loomis and like Lori distracts him a bit and it's just like uh i don't know and then Lori runs out loomis lights the gas explosion Lori gets hit by the way she didn't get that far before he lit it up and then, no that that is a great explosion that's a great little stunt i guess yeah and then you think it's over and michael's walking out the fire and you're like holy shit what the hell is it gonna fucking take to kill this guy and as soon as you say that <laughs> he falls to the ground and he quote-unquote dies because we never really check up on yeah. him ever again after that and the credits roll and that's halloween too a nice 91 or so minute classic film not as good as the original sure. very flawed but you know some great kills the jacuzzi kill great great kill i like the way michael dies here you know dies in quotes because he's michael's died you know 4500 times at this point but like i think this is my number two favorite michael death i you know nothing tops the beheading in h2o and that's some of the worst retconning in, in sequel history and in Resurrection, of course. But yeah, oh my. I don't know. I mean, Michael on fire just falling to the ground is pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I thought it was great. You know, it kind of goes with the end of 
Halloween 2018 in a way. Yeah, because he burns and that. I mean, we never really he disappears at some point, but yeah, he's in a burning building. Sure. Doesn't he burn in Halloween uh, Resurrection as well? Oh yeah, like, I guess well, it gets. I mean, the, he gets fire. kung fu kicked to death. But, <laughs> yeah, I forget about the burning because I just remember the kung fu kicks. But yes, you're right. So the theme, the theme <laughs> for Michael is fires are what takes him down. I, yeah, but then it'll just pop up again. So who cares? Like they don't even wait until the next movie after Resurrections. He opens his eyes in that movie. Yeah, at the end, they take him to the, morgue, him to the morgue. Yeah, and then I think there's a extended cut scene of him actually okay. killing those people. And they show it. Yeah, well, that that movie never even got a sequel, I guess. So who cares? <laughs> Crazy that they kill Laurie Strode in Halloween Resurrection. Yes, which is the second time she's died in the series because she dies sometime between Halloween two and four off screen. How much bag do you think she got <laughs> for that for that little little role? Oh yeah, that's the thing. Well. <laughs> I love that movie. You're like watching that movie in the opening credits, and it's like Jamie Lee Curtis, and you're like, okay, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis again. And then it's Buster Rhymes. You're like, holy shit, it's Buster Rhymes. The original <laughs> rapper. Such a weird, actor. weird movie. Well, they they went two movies in a row because they had LL Cool J in H2O. They really knew that you know they know black people like horror movies. They know what they got to do. If you look at yeah, like the, the look, leprechaun look, in the hood movie, that's, that's how those the movies, new Halloween uh, movies have so many black characters. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's the sheriff. You're like you're, you, 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 you would think Haddonfield is like fifty percent black <laughs> the way that it's portrayed. Yeah, two, two of the villagers or whatever, two of the angry mob. Yeah, like there's so yeah, many yeah. black people. Like it's it's nuts to me. They really go for it. Like Haddonfield is is a black place in the new Halloween movies. <laughs> it's like living in Dorchester. Not that, that means anything. Is it that to you. miserable? <laughs> it's never miserable when there's fellow blacks in all cap around. I'm just talking about mass holes. The only mass holes that I've encountered are people who are going to or from the Red Sox games absolutely fucking hammered. <laughs> of course. Like yes. they they get so drunk it's incredible. Like falling down the train stairs and it's pathetic. Like I can't imagine being that drunk. Well, so, well speaking of like six thirty very, very drunk, we've got to return to Halloween two, the best scene in the movie, which was the the scene where the car you know, where the police car runs over an innocent child and Ben, murders him ben Tramer. we yeah we didn't even talk about how that is revealed to be ben Tramer, and to me it's so funny for a number of reasons one well obviously well ben Tramer, as i mentioned like he gets mentioned a couple times in the original halloween he's some guy that's interested in laurie who one of laurie's friends told was also that she was also interested in him even though she's not but that's like that's all we know about ben Tramer. He absolutely does not need to be in Halloween 2. And to me, it's just so funny that this one guy <laughs> that gets killed in, like, the funniest way possible just happens to be connected to Laurie in, in some, like, small way. It's just so stupid, but really funny in a way. And it's, like, um, I think of, too, like, how the more and more, like, nostalgic movies, like, sequels and reboots get, too. This is this is something kind of ahead of its time because now in like the new Halloween movies it's like oh everyone is like someone in the original movie or something like um Lonnie shows up in Halloween Kills like who's the kind of the bully kid who's in like one scene in the original Halloween like now he's a character just because we hear his name and and it's like yeah I love <laughs> the Ben Tramer incident and then they also because they they well when they have the dead body they don't 
they don't really think it's Michael because they they think when they're doing the autopsy and as you mentioned it's a severely burned body they're thinking he was about 17 years old then some kids come up to the sheriff and to Dr. Loomis and he's like hey have you seen our friend Ben Tramer we haven't heard from him and you know he he left the party he was really drunk when he was going home So you have this. So so it's not just that uh, Donald Pleasance was chasing down some like teenager who's completely disconnected from the Michael Myers storyline. He's chasing down a drunk teenager, which makes it so much funnier to me. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Like Loomis got away with a lot. He got away with a lot. But as I'm saying, Loomis isn't even the guy that kills him. That guy, that police car without his sirens on, going 75 down a down a. <laughs> Down a, a suburban yeah, like street, a twenty-five is the mile per hour street came out of the, nowhere. The, the, a street that the very street that Michael Myers got yelled at for speeding in the last movie when he was going like thirty. You remember that? Yeah, speed kills. <laughs> speed kills. Yeah, well, it does. That pays off. <laughs> that whole line is set up for it, Halloween yeah, too. It, no, might, it might have been. I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't. Halloween 2 was never really planned by John Carpenter until he needed to write it, you know? Sometimes the best art is made that way. So, you are a big fan of this movie. I love this movie. Alright. I don't. Now, some of the scenes are good. I'm not denying that. There's some neat shots. But overall, I just don't find this movie nearly as effective or as, like, moody and atmospheric like i love the the slow pace of the original and we have just these shots of michael in the clotheslines or behind a a hedge you know just looking and how he's like always in the background i love that kind of stuff and that's why i kind of like the kind of the beginning of this movie when like i like the scene when he sneaks into the old lady's house and i like that kind of stuff because it's like slow and effective and i just don't like the hospital stuff that much. I don't know what it is. You don't like the jacuzzi kill? I mean, that's okay. I, I think, um, I mean, I, I, it sounds silly saying this right after we, now that we have Halloween kills, but this movie is a lot more violent than the original Halloween, which of course, not necessarily a bad thing. The original Halloween is very much not about the kills. And I feel like this movie is more about the kills. And that's, fine you know that's kind of what the friday the 13th movies are but those are also kind of just schlock and this movie kind of coming from you know kind of as a sequel to a film that was so expertly done you kind of hope for uh some more i don't know lack of a better word like integrity to the film it just feels like this movie's kind of cashing in on like Friday the 13th and like Tom Savini and like the more extreme kills and stuff and it's not like it reaches the level of like some of the great Friday the 13th deaths or anything but I mean whatever this movie definitely works better as a double feature yeah because because it is such a direct sequel and like I said it's very it's very faithful which is great that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill return in some capacity the only thing i would change about this movie is i was get rid of that sam wine or sam wayne shit yeah because there's that ultimately doesn't pay off i mean there's talk of Samhain in um halloween 3 but it has obviously no connection to this movie and then it sort of comes back in halloween 6 but again halloween 6 is a disaster for many many reasons so yeah that doesn't really go anywhere i'll, I'll agree with that 
I would, yeah, I, I, I think just watching this movie, I really miss the direction of John Carpenter, you know? It's great that he's here. It's great that he's doing the score. It's great that he's writing the script, but he's, at the end of the day, he's a great director, and, you know, how many Rick Rosenthal movies have you seen? Uh, no fucking clue. You've seen at least two, because he did Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> one of the worst movies i've ever seen i don't know what else he did but yeah i don't know i don't know who this guy is but he he did do halloween resurrection yeah i've seen none of his movies besides halloween movies all right well have you seen any larry cohen movies larry cohen movies other than the stuff of course this is a transition in case you didn't know the stuff was awesome all right you're a stuff fan uh it was it was was entertaining i was never bored yeah, I was never fully grow. I was never like this is completely disgusting, or it was sure. nothing off. Yeah, you're comparing it to House by the Cemetery. Yeah, yes, I mean that movie had me all fucked up. But this is the first Larry Cohen movie as well. Maybe I've seen a Return to Salem's Lot once upon a time. Oh, I never saw that. Um, yeah, I've seen a handful of Larry Cohen movies. I've seen Black Caesar. I've seen Q the Winged Serpent. I've seen. Um. Didn't he write, like, um, I never saw it, but he wrote Phone Booth, I think. He didn't direct it. The film Phone the, Booth? Yeah, the Colin Farrell movie, right? Oh, shit, he did. I get, I get, phone, I get phone Booth and Secret Window mixed up. The, Colin Farrell's the Phone Booth one, right? Colin Farrell Secret is Window's the, Johnny Depp. That is both correct. Phone Booth is awesome. Yeah, because Larry Cohen's more of a, I mean, he directed a number of movies, and a number of which I would say are really good. But he was, he was really more of a writer. And, you know, he had a number of screenplays that were adapted to films that he, you know, didn't direct or anything like that. Uh, I think he created a couple of relatively successful television shows. So he's an accomplished writer. He's an accomplished filmmaker. He's a, you know, classic independent filmmaker, DIY, New York City guy, you know, famously. Shout out to the BX. Famously in Q the Winged Serpent, he uh, had scenes where he didn't really have permission to to shoot um scenes of people with prop guns atop like the chrysler building or whatever it's the chrysler building in the movie i don't know where they actually shot it and they just like have these like guns going off and these sounds and he he didn't tell anyone about it and so there were people like on the street freaking out because they thought there was like the you know the son of sam kind of thing uh so yeah that's that classic diy independent film spirit that you see a little bit of that in the stuff and the stuff is it's actually kind of a shame we're doing this with Halloween 2, because I don't know if you thought of this, but the stuff is kind of a perfect pairing with Halloween 3. You know, you're very right in that sense, the the consumerism, criticisms and shit. Yeah, the both films are very, like, anti-capitalist. I think the stuff, a bit more satirically and a bit more comedically than Halloween 3. Halloween 3 just seems kind of... Why couldn't they just name it something else besides Halloween? Well, okay, that's that's an entirely different conversation than to whether or not Halloween three is good. I mean, I, I'll give you that. We need the, but I I think Halloween three is a good movie though. We need the podcast on why they named it Halloween three when it had no business being named Halloween three. What about all the Cloverfield sequels though? I mean, where that the the spirit of Halloween three is still alive and well today. Cloverfield, <laughs> as far as like. Is one of the most things. inconsistent franchises ever because it's, it's because it's not a franchise. <laughs> it's been shoehorned into a franchise. It has no business being one. Ten Cloverfield Lane is awesome. It is. It's a very good movie. 
Paradox is not good. Have you seen? But neither of them are really Cloverfield movies. That's the Paradox thing. sucks. Have you seen Underwater with Kristen Stewart? I saw it on a plane, so I didn't really have the best experience of it, but I have technically seen it, yes. Apparently, the original plan was to have the twist ending instead of it being like the, uh, the giant monster from the Lovecraft yeah. shit. It was going to be the Cloverfield monster. Well, I think at one point, because it's J.J. Uh, Abrams' production company, I think at one point, Overlord was going to be a Cloverfield movie as well. It was, it was. Over, yeah, which which I'm glad they didn't sully. That's a great movie. I'm glad they didn't sully that with the Cloverfield label. You can't just label. be throwing labels on shit just to do it. Anyways, so the stuff is a bit like Halloween 3. It's, it's you know, conspiracy-heavy plot, kind of anti-corporate, anti-consumerism kind of... This is definitely more of a comedy than Halloween 3. This is kind of a sci-fi horror comedy, I guess. It's yeah, it's, it's a good, really good a description. pretty unique movie. It's, you know, it's I can't think of too many movies, too many other movies rather, where it's got a anti-capitalist message and still the right-wing militia end up being heroes, you know? I mean, it's, how, many, it, how many movies can you think of this is that Joe, have that? This is Joe Rogan's favorite movie, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's why I liked it. Like, the genre was fucking different. Like, it was very different. Yes. I kept expecting something. Like, I kept thinking, like, oh, like, they're going to, you know, they're going to show that the government knows that this bad thing is happening. I didn't think they were going to have, like, you know, this, like, entirely government angle and, like, this corporate, right. like, spy kind of guy is the main character. Like, I didn't foresee that happening. And I kept waiting for it to switch, and it never... After a while, I was waiting like 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, this. right, I'm halfway through this movie. There's going to be no switch. Like, if this is the guy. Yeah, this is sort of Halloween 3 meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets, I don't know, meets Q the Winged Serpent? I don't know. But anyways, we start off. The movie kind of just starts. It's a little weird. There's this guy who's at like a uh, quarry or some kind of like digging thing. I don't know. And he finds something like bubbling out of the ground, some white thing, kind of like fluffernutter sort of you know marshmallowy kind of thing and he starts eating it and he's like wow this is delicious and then just like that's the setup because this this guy whoever he is has gone on to make this which they just call the stuff into a worldwide brand that has basically replaced ice cream yep yeah, really quickly too. I mean, and then, um, and then, so the the entire plot, the main character of the movie is Mo Rutherford. His his name isn't Mo, but he they call him Mo. My friends call he me claims, Mo <laughs> because because every time they give me something or every time they give me money, I always want Mo. That's he says that like three or four times. It's great. And this is played. He's played by Michael Moriarty, who's doing like a kind of a, like a weird kind of charming southern accent for whatever reason it's very different from other movies i've seen him in because he's i don't know where he's i i kind of assume he's from new york because he's in a lot of larry cohen movies but i don't know he's just he's not from the south to my knowledge but the reason he he comes in because all of these like ice cream company ceos are threatened by the stuff and they can't even figure out what's in the stuff so they hire this industrial saboteur yeah yeah industrial spy <laughs> to basically just figure out information on the stuff and they don't really give him a lot of you know detail on what they want him to do and so he kind of ends up 
acting very independently. Like, no, he's not supervised in any way. He kind of just does whatever the hell he wants. And then there's also there's also another plot. There's this young boy named Jason, who's probably 9, 10, 11, you know, somewhere around there, who opens the fridge one day, and, you know, his family has... The fridge is filled with the stuff, which are carried in these little pint um Well, you know, tubes. enough is never enough. Enough is never enough. Yeah, that's a great little slogan. Um, bet you can't eat just one, basically, of the, of the horror film world. But yeah, he he sees it move, and he he's like, okay, this is disgusting. I saw it move. I don't, you know, and he's trying to convince his family, his older brother, his parents, that hey, that's not good. Don't eat it. But they don't believe him. They don't accept it, and they love the stuff. So we've got t- two plots here. We've got Mo doing his investigation, and Jason kind of finding ways to not end up eating it because this family keeps wanting that they eventually ground him because he because he won't eat it and stuff like that it's kind of it's kind of weird kind of absurd yeah because this the stuff is a dessert so it's like you should probably be grateful that your I mean, it's, young it, boy doesn't want to eat it well, well it's low in calories so it's not even <laughs> that's true it's not yeah. like a true dessert you know yeah i guess technically yeah but they don't really know what's in it is the problem obviously it was apparently rushed through the approval by the FDA or whatever, and that everyone who approved it has like disappeared or gone missing or just like left. There's like there's like a few lines about that. It's FDA approves, but nobody knows what the ingredient is. It's protected like the same way the coke yes. the coke is. That's a fun line. That's a fun little like acknowledgement. Like, yeah, the the same way Coca Cola has a secret formula, we don't actually know what's in the stuff. Or you could say, you know, the the Colonel's um, secret is it eleven eleven spices, herbs and spices, whatever, however many herbs and spices the Colonel has. You think I know because I'm fucking have dark skin? No, I'm just saying. Like, well, first of all. It, <laughs> KFC has completely <laughs> lost its place in American consciousness. I feel like Chick Fil A has completely surpassed it. Right? I don't even like Chick Fil A. You know, Popeyes is the shit. I'll still bangs with KFC. Pop Popeyes. It, I just don't have Popeyes around me. I would love to have. They it. got the Megan Thee Stallion sauce now. Well, I, I, I also I also don't have Popeyes. I don't think there's a Popeyes inside Boston, which is you know racist in its own way. Yeah. Well, it's Boston. What do you? They are. that's their thing it's a crazy place to live anyways mo meets with one guy who's like from the team that approved the stuff or something he's he meets with danny aiello the pizzeria owner from do the right thing yes (laughs) this is a big movie for italian american character actors because it's these are like the only roles i've seen each of these two guys in where they're not playing like explicitly italian american characters because we also get uh what's his name abe oh well abe i wasn't thinking of abe yeah abe (laughs) vagoda has a cameo but there's also uh the guy from goodfellas Paulie. Oh, paulie's in there too paul servino paul servino he he plays the right wing (laughs) <laughs> the right wing militia leader who has my favorite line of the movie. So we gotta get on the phone and let everyone know. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's I love I love the line when he says something about like the American military is undefeated, and then little boy Jason. <laughs> what about Vietnam? Jason's like, well, what about Vietnam? And he and he just like completely straight face is like, we lost that war at home, son. <laughs> it's a hilarious line. Like really, t- had a pause there 
classic shit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my favorite line of the movie. He's got some other fun lines. He also, that was he's good. also yeah. That was like know. some American. That was like a, a Independence Day vibes. That whole that whole guy was giving me like that fake ass president from Independence Day. Okay, yeah. Except I, I like that with Jason though. They're they're clearly making poking fun at him in in a way. Clearly, clearly. I mean, he also ends up being a hero, which is weird. But we'll talk about that. So, anyways, Mo meets with Danny Aiello, and Danny Aiello says that, like, hey, I, you know, we don't really know what's in it, but we did, you know, nobody appears to, and then at first he's like, wait a second, you're not telling me someone got sick, did they? And he's worried because he eats it all the time, and more importantly, his dog eats it all the time. His dog, who is, is that a Doberman? I don't know what kind of dog it was, but that scene was weird as shit. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, the second after, once Mo leaves, the dog starts acting crazy, and then I guess he eats him, but for, but before it eats him or, or rips his neck open, whatever whatever he does to him, he attacks him. But we get, like, it's not just the dog. We get, like, monster stuff in the dog's mouth going on. It's some interesting effects. It was giving me the house by the cemetery. Like that's why. Why do you say that? Just so strange and like. Oh yeah. Weird and uncomfortable to watch. I. It's not that uncomfortable. I mean. No, 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 it, it, was, it was slowly giving, but then it went back to being a solid movie. <laughs> yeah, it's not the guy stabbing the bat forty-five thousand times. <laughs> just no, ridiculous. Slipping over his own blood. Ridiculous shit. So Mo also meets with the woman who's in charge of like the stuff's marketing campaign and this is where i like some of the details here because he meets her on like a commercial shoot or maybe it's even a photo shoot i can't remember i mean they have like models walking the runway with their stuff stuff but i love like the the logo of the stuff like the colors it 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 feels very much like a real product i feel like they put a lot of effort into everything even though we see a little bit of the a little bit of the television commercial later which is like a uh you know uh, a thing on like the where's the beef they have like a where's the stuff which I'm assuming that's the same lady as the Where's the Beef commercials, but I don't know. Abe Vigoda's also sitting at the table for some reason. Making money, man. He's showing up to well, make yeah. money. <laughs> no, no, well, of course. I saw that. I saw that, and I, I wrote down in my notes, I was like, old man looks like the dude from Godfather, and I looked at the credits, and I was like, holy shit, it is the guy yeah, from the yeah. Godfather. <laughs> Does he even say anything? I think he's just sitting there. I think he got one line off, maybe. Did he get one line Oh, yeah, because he probably says, because the dinner gets served, he probably says, like, something, and then she goes, where's the stuff, you know? But I, I like that they, they put a lot of effort into making this look and feel like a real product, and I think that works really well for the satire, but also just the the, the believability, for lack of a better word, of, of this movie. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, it's an absurd movie in so many ways, but, I mean, one you of know, the- it's, it's got a tiny bit of believability there. The absurd part when the kids in the grocery store just de- oh, destroying everything, like going balls to the wall, just destroying all the stuff while people just stand there and watch, like talk about absurd and unbelievable. My favorite part of that scene, because that's when, yeah, Jason starts tearing down every, you know, the stuff related display at the grocery store. He starts like he takes the stuff out of like a kid's hand who's like sitting in the in the grocery cart and stuff. The stuff is so popular that it's 
displayed in like three or four different locations in the grocery store. I think that's a neat detail. But my favorite part about that scene is that there's a brief cut to like the two people, two grocery store employees who are like setting up the display and they just go like, oh shit, (laughs) or something like that. I love that. (laughs) Maybe something like that has happened before. Oh yeah, maybe. I wasn't even thinking of that, but I, I was just thinking of... You're not thinking about I the larger work. cinematic universe of the stuff? <laughs> no, I was just thinking I have worked at a grocery store before, and I can imagine some kid <laughs> running around wrecking all my hard work, and it's just like, fuck you, kid. I, too, have worked in a grocery store. I hope to to avoid such a, such a thing again, those well, terrible yeah, times. No. Yeah, that was probably my, yeah, it was definitely my least favorite job I've ever had, but whatever. Mm, well, McDonald's was probably worse for me. So, Mo, what's what's the name of the PR woman? What's I have it written down somewhere. I don't know. PR woman. Nicole. Nicole. Because it's, um, I didn't write her name down at first because it doesn't seem like she's going to be a really important character. He just kind of meets her. And he kind of he's doing his charming southern accent thing. He's lying about where he's coming from. He's he claims he's trying to hire her for like some other company. Really, he's just trying to find out any information on you know if the PR team knows what the stuff actually is. Turns out she doesn't. But you don't get the sense that she's going to be a really important character. But she like shows up later and she is important. Yeah, she got stuff done. Also, you know the forced love interest. Yeah. A little four. So again, kind of Halloween 3-ish. Yeah. It's not a good movie, that Halloween 3. No, don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. So, eventually Mo heads down to some town in Virginia where they, um, where they tested the stuff. And this is like a ghost town. There's like one person there or two people there. It's just like a really weird situation. He's trying to figure out what happened because it's almost like... I don't know, like the crazies, you know, the George A. Romero movie. There's like something weird happened here. And then we meet arguably the best character of the movie. We meet Chocolate Chip Charlie, played by Garrett Morris. The I believe he was an inaugural member, cast member of Saturday Night Live. He was definitely on in the early days. Legend. He's a lot of fun in this role. He's he seems to be he's just goofing off. He's having a good time. Um, he claims to have like his fists are registered as like lethal weapons or something he's out of control good he's electric he's throwing oh he's yeah he's throwing 100 miles an hour <laughs> yeah absolutely 100 on the black yeah that's not a pun about his skin color <laughs> i'm talking about the outside part of the plate where it's hard to get your bat around to or the inside part for that matter but anyways chocolate Chip charlie is this guy who was forced out of his own company because of the stuff his um the other board members really liked the stuff and he's like no 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 we we got to do this thing and, and they're like no we don't want you we want the stuff so he's forced out of it so he's basically doing the same thing that mo is doing except he hasn't hired out like the other ice cream companies he's doing the dirty work himself yeah he just wants to know what the fuck is going on with this stuff stuff he's on the case and then we get like a scene where where the the two of them are like jointly questioning this guy at like a was it a hardware store or something yeah gas station it was it's something like that like again there's only like a couple people in this town so they're questioning him and then he leaves for a moment and then apparently gets killed by the stuff yeah and we got to talk about how the stuff actually works so what do you think is up with the stuff does it eat you out like hollows you out kind of thing what do you think yeah well i, I wasn't i wasn't even talking in that sense i'm just basically saying it's basically the blob 
the way it moves around and just covers you and then yeah I don't think it's too important what it well because it because we learned soon enough that I guess maybe we saw it with the dog but if you eat the stuff it can eventually control you from the inside and if you don't eat it but you get like a big tub of it near you it can just eat you it's really weird, but it's basically it's it's the blob of meat's invasion of the body snatchers. It's it's it, it can turn its people into zombies, basically, you know, like a hive mind almost, or it can just eat you itself. We see that we see the zombie part really well with Jason's family because um they lock him in his room until he eats the stuff, and there's a fun scene when when instead of uh, eating the stuff, he ends up eating shaving cream. <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 pretty creepy, and then eventually the Jason's family like chases after him and everything. One of the funniest fucking scenes, and they chase him out the crib. Yeah, because that's when Mo and, and then Mo Nicole... just shows up and knows to save him. Yeah, well, Mo did here because he was talking to I don't know if it was I don't think it was Nicole. I think it was one of the corporate ice cream guys, maybe. But they pointed out that like, hey, there's this news story of this kid in where was he? This kid somewhere who freaked out and attacked all the stuff in the grocery store. And then so they kind of like figure like, okay, we need to help that kid. But then I love the, the perfect timing of Mo showing up right when he's being chased out, out of his own home by his family is just perfect. And he stops by and he's like, get in. He's like, who are you? And then I love the really quick explanation. This is like the simplest way to put it. He's like, I saw it move too. That's all he had to say. So eventually we kind of have our Chocolate Chip Charlie goes and does his own thing. And then it's Mo, Nicole, and this little boy, Jason, going around. And they've they've got access to the ice cream guy's resources because they have a private plane. And they fly to a place in Georgia where, like, the stuff's factory is. Of course it would be in Georgia. Why do you say that? Plead the fifth. So... In a very Halloween 3-ish moment, we get um, Nicole and Mo basically go undercover in the factory. They claim to be, like, journalists or something. Or, no, I think they say they're going to shoot a commercial, maybe, which makes sense given Nicole's PR background. I don't know. They claim they make up some BS thing, but they leave the kid on the plane. <laughs> and what I love about this is because because almost immediately the kid is on the plane with the pilot. The pilot gets eaten by the stuff, and the kid gets out. Of course, Jason does. But I love how later that night, because they they basically say like they say to the pilot like, "Hey, if he wakes up, keep him entertained or something." But then they go to the factory. And then when they're done with their thing at the factory, they don't go back to the plane to check on the kid. They, they're just at a hotel room. <laughs> it's, they just, like, forget about Jason. It's hilarious. Maybe they think kids sleep throughout the whole night. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just really funny. And that hotel room scene is one of the best scenes, too, because they get the, um, the stuff gets on Moe's face. And then... Nicole has to improvise and figure out a way to get it off him. They can't they can't pull it off, so she ends up just burning it, which is pretty great. There's some neat effects in this scene. And then one of the stuffed zombies comes in comes inside, they fight him, they push him out of the way, and then he gets attacked and killed by the stuff in a fantastic scene. It's the same, if I'm not mistaken, it's the same rotating room set from the original Nightmare on Elm Street, where um 
Tina gets killed because it's it's a really neat scene where the stuff appears to be dragging him like towards the ceiling and just really awesome kind of gross stuff. The kill, the, the grossness was put in a very, in a way that I could enjoy because usually gross stuff is yeah. not for me, but the stuff did it nice enough. Yeah, I think this is, there's there's levels to grossness and I think this is, there's grossness in this movie, but I think it's a bit of a tame grossness. It's not over-the-top bloody. It's not... I mean, it's more gooey than bloody, but it's yeah, not it's like... A, I, don't even, I don't know. It's not much blood at all, I feel like. So then Mo and Nicole follow the stuff trucks. They follow them over to the quarry, which I assume is the location where the stuff was originally discovered. Yes. And at some point, Jason had gone to the factory on his own. And he got in one of those trucks, and he's in, like, the, what do you call that? Like, the uh, the tank? Like, if, 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 you know, if you would fill this up with oil or gasoline or whatever. Yeah, I guess he's in the tank. And they start filling his tank up with the stuff. And this is when Mo and Nicole obviously are spying, and they're like, wait a second, they're just, the, this isn't even, there aren't any ingredients in this stuff. They literally just take it from the ground. This is, like, something alien or something like that. Why didn't they assume it was alien and not just, like shitty naturally occurring shitty destructive fungi that's a fair question i don't know yeah well let's ask larry cohen oh wait he's dead never mind we can't michael moriarty might be alive i don't know maybe he knows (laughs) the the kid's probably alive if nothing else whoever he is i wish we could talk to the dead so then mo decides to steal one of the trucks one of the stuffed trucks and it's just kind of like conveniently he like has the same suit that they're all wearing these like sort of a kind of a hazmat suit kind of thing well no not a hazmat i don't think there's a head thing but it's like a yellow kind of jumpsuit he just like already has that and he goes about he's he's prepping to steal the truck but then he specifically he hears that jason's inside it and he's like oh hang on kid i'll say so he steals the jason truck and he gets Jason out of there just before there's enough stuff to kill him and then they escape in the truck and they are all you know all three of them are pulled over by a cop who they (laughs) who they distract with the stuff and eventually the stuff takes out the cop and they have a line like you know in a town this small like there's no way some people are controlled and the cops aren't you know okay so the cops are stuff people perhaps too we don't really get confirmation of that but it makes enough sense I mean, what do we know about the police history in this country well in georgia too i mean yeah. exactly i've seen <laughs> i've seen the the green mile does that take place in georgia i think so okay i've never seen that all the way through i've seen bits and pieces on like amc or whatever tnt something shout out to the legendary michael clark duncan i in sam rockwell why not and Michael Jeter. Only one of them is dead. So, Mo then determines that, hey, we're pretty close by to this one guy that I know. He's like a retired general. <laughs> and he leads a militia. <laughs> and this is like, uh, this, this, the movie takes a bit of a turn here. Because they go to visit Paulie's little um, militia area. And this is obviously, again, Paul Servino who plays like a right-wing nut job guy who's got soldiers like devoted to him. 
and they basically say they it takes some convincing but eventually they're like hey you know there's this this stuff thing you know it's and then like he kind of goes in his own direction with it and he's like oh this is like communist stuff and it's like yeah sure whatever (laughs) and then we get a raid on the stuff factory led by this militia (laughs) and this is again this is the movie where the weirdo right-wing nutjob conspiracy theorist guy is the hero it's so bizarre but i kind of love it in its own way thank god this movie was not made in the present day well yeah no and i do think like this could be an allegory for vaccines these days oh yeah there would be something but yeah no i I do think there's like uh there's something about this movie where i like even though this movie is definitely satirical definitely saying something about society in some way i don't think it's like if it makes sense i don't think it's particularly political like i don't think it's it's not the movie's not endorsing this dude's worldview it's making it's poking fun of the guy when he in particular when he goes to his radio station he says something to chocolate chip charlie about not wanting coloreds on his radio or something like there's there's no way that's not meant to be making fun of the guy agreed but it's bizarre it's certainly bizarre Yes, yeah, so they save the day the factory is all taken care of they leave you know this giant blob monster thing they leave it there and then they decide to get to atlanta to one of this general guy's radio stations and then they're going to do their best to convince everyone else all these other radio stations to broadcast the same message you know think of it as this is like an infowars type radio setup i guess right infowars yes definitely <laughs> right i mean this, there's some alex jones vibes to this guy but this is when Chocolate Chip Charlie shows up again, and this is when he says, like, hey, I don't want that guy. And then they're like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, Chocolate Chip Charlie is really popular. People love him. It's going to mean a lot if he's the one delivering the message. So they kind of agree, okay, he's going to be the guy to say that, hey, this this stuff thing is horrible, and it's, you know, whatever. But then, in a scene that I both love and hate, Chocolate Chip Charlie's mouth and head just expands and expands hated it and it looks it's very fun it's a fun effect but it looks ridiculous and this is all happening of course because the stuff is inside him so he was stuff all along and then so he's in the sound sound booth or whatever with nicole and with jason so the stuff comes out of him, and then it's just like you got the stuff on the ground. You got Nicole and Jason backed up into the corner of the room trying to avoid it, and you've got Mo and Paul Servino trying to, like, break down the glass to save them. And this is kind of an underwhelming climax. This kind of just feels like a set piece that would show up in the movie, but it ends up kind of surprisingly being the climax. Yeah, it was very underwhelming. I don't know. I think we've got kind of weak climaxes in both films to be perfectly honest but yeah this is this feels like this doesn't feel that much more exciting than when jason is in the tank of the truck and the stuff is coming after him you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. oh jason i tried to watch the last friday the 13th movie the other night and i turned it off after a few minutes the remake or yeah the jason remake X. the remake okay. remake solid it's good stuff it's not great but it's it's a Friday the 13th movie. It's just, it's no real worse than the others, you know? Truth. So with the day apparently saved, Nicole gives her little radio address. It's, it's an apology because she's like, hey, I'm responsible for a lot of this because I led the 
the hugely successful marketing campaign. Like, I, I hope you can forgive me, but this is what the stuff does to you. And then we get like a little montage of people like trashing billboards and stores that like have the stuff on them and stuff. And it's, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, it's kind of that scene. It's a little kind of funny. And then we get a really weird scene where we find out later how, I don't know how, how much longer later, years or months. Months? Yeah, but anyways, we find out that a few people from the stuff company have rebranded the stuff. They Because they said like, hey, listen, we'll admit the product wasn't safe, but people still loved it. So we have put a safe amount of it in this other product. And what do they call it? They call it like, um, oh, the taste. The taste. That's what I that's what I've written down anyways. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound familiar, but I wrote down the taste. And yeah, they said it's it's balanced with dairy products and so they claim there's not enough stuff to be harmful. But then Mo is basically like, "Well, then why won't you eat it and prove it?" He just he just like challenges them and they refuse to do it. And then eventually it's like he and Jason, it's kind of a weird scene. He and Jason basically force feed them this the stuff it's 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 a bizarre ending because he basically uh, he's just like here eat this all of it until you die <laughs> basically it's just like oh, i don't know but you know this is our mo this is he's kind of an he's an anti-hero i guess you could say right um yeah i mean he's a kind of a sleazy kind of douchebag of a guy but like I mean, well, he always wants Mo. I mean, we do know that. He's greedy, if nothing else. <laughs> Just because he always wants Mo. <laughs> yeah, he always wants Mo. He says that like four times. And then we see kind of like a secret, like a black market stuff deal. It's like a drug deal. So we kind of see that, okay, even though the stuff is outlawed, it's still around. And I think that's kind of interesting. It's like, because if you think about it, like what we know about drugs, we know they're harmful effects of of you know opiates and stuff like that and then it's like yeah but you can still get that stuff you know with drug deal drug deals drug dealers and stuff like that so it's like i'm imagining like it sounds ridiculous because we know the stuff is like this kind of alien thing or whatever you know alien monster thing that can control you but then it's like oh yeah but people probably like even if in a world where if we had that thing and it were eventually outlawed, if people got like hooked on it, it could still be maybe, you know, be out there on the black market. There's like something kind of weirdly like it's funny, but it's also kind of like realistic about this ending. I think I think it's effective. I think it's and then and then you start to think like, OK, is the stuff is the entire thing a metaphor about drugs? And I think maybe it could be, I you know, who knows? I think that's part of it small portion for sure yeah oh yeah yeah there's there's a lot more to the movie than that but anyways that's pretty much the end of the movie there is a little post-credit scene i don't know if you stuck around for that it's really brief it's just like part of a commercial of the stuff it's just yes, this yes, woman. Yes, i did see that yes yeah, it says enough is never enough and she's holding up the thing and so that is the stuff josh what did you think of larry cohen's the stuff I think I gave it a three or three and a half stars out of five on Letterboxd after I was done. It's a solid movie. Okay. Probably never watch again unless someone who is cool wants to watch it with me. And I have a high standard of cool <laughs> these days, especially now that I live in Boston. It's a fine so, movie. So you're, watch- so you're watching this if someone cool is hanging out with you and wants to see it. I just, I love that's like a, I that would- as like a 
way to categorize a movie that I might see again would watch with someone cool but really only in those circumstances I would try I would really try to get Halloween 2 on the map instead of this okay but it's not it wasn't a waste of time it didn't repulse me I don't consider an abomination like some previous films I have watched this one was fine it was a fine flick it had good ideas and yes it, it was entertaining which is critical I largely agree with me with you, excuse me. It sounds like I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you, but I mean, I've largely the same things to say, you know. It's got a lot of really great ideas that are, you know, the execution is solid. It's not incredible. I don't think this is like the best movie ever or anything. But, but the stuff is just it's like a lot of things. There's like some body horror, there's like a little bit of almost like 50s monster throwback because it's kind of like the blob. There's also like a zombie element or an invasion of the body snatchers element. And then it's the satire of corporate America too, and it is genuinely funny at t- at times. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's quite entertaining. It's uh it's well-paced. It's got a number of um solid effects scenes and, and you know some neat scares i do think the climax is is a letdown as i've mentioned and i think it kind of opens a little rough too but you know i i love kind of everything in that middle chunk i will agree there the opening is a little rough but the film kept me engaged yeah you know i don't own a the stuff t-shirt i know people make them because this is a very, if you've seen the movie and everything, and if you've seen the poster, it's like, yeah, this logo stands out to you. Because it's one of those, it's like Ghostbusters. It's it's the logo for the movie, but it's also the logo exists within the movie. So it's like this, this has made its way. Because this stuff isn't, it's by no means obscure. It's maybe not as well remembered as Halloween 2 or, you know, some other big time movies. But like, it's got enough of a following that like, yeah, there's going to be the stuff merchandise out there, you know. If you look hard enough online, you don't, might not even have to look at that hard. So I don't own a The Stuff shirt, but I'm not completely opposed to owning one. You know, if one were to fall into my lap, it's not like I wouldn't wear it. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. But anyways, I think I know the answer to this question, but Josh, which of these two movies do you prefer? Halloween 2. Care to elaborate? Uh, Michael Myers is the greatest horror villain slash slasher villain uh, the music is just so enticing i love laurie schrode the shape haunts me in my waking hours and uh sometimes i have nightmares of michael myers the stuff is a good film it is a solid film i do recommend it to lovers of the horror genre but halloween too is it's the chef's kiss of horror you know I'm not going to go so far as to say it's the chef's, you know, sneezing on the meal of horror, but I don't think, I don't, (laughs) personally, I don't think Halloween 2 is as good as you say it is, and that's fine that you have that wrong opinion, (laughs) but I am going to say I prefer the stuff. I think at the end of the day, neither of these films are perfect. The stuff to me is just more unique, like Halloween 2, if for no other reason, I've seen this story told and i'm not saying just the original halloween but like this type of movie i've seen a bunch of times the stuff it's really like halloween 3 is honestly the only movie i would really think to compare it to other than maybe some other larry cohen movies might have a resemblance here or there but yeah i think it's just you know the halloween 2 is in my opinion it's mediocre execution of something that i've seen done really well and the stuff is very solid execution of something that i haven't seen tried too often 
And maybe it, I think I'll be the first to admit, I think, in my opinion, Halloween 2 suffers a bit because Halloween is so great that, you know, it, it can't live up to that original film's legacy. Mm-hmm. And may, maybe I'm docking Halloween 2 a bit unfairly because of that, but that's kind of my perception. The legacy rating. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like I am more forgiving of some of the random ass Friday the 13th sequels because they're, those are sequels to films that aren't that great like none of the Friday the 13th movies are that great so like if the movie comes about in the middle of that series and it's like a little bit better than the others I'm gonna be like yeah this is great so I don't know I mean I, th- I think that's sort of a, it's a bias that I'm semi-conscious of I guess you could say it's real I'm glad you can acknowledge it know thyself as Socrates once said and look what happened to him uh, yeah, he was uh, eaten alive by the stuff. So, Josh, how do you think this works as a drive-in double feature? I had a great time doing it, so I think it works fine. Yeah, I think this is great. I, I do mention, you mentioned Halloween 2 is a great double feature, obviously, with the original Halloween, which I can't deny. That's definitely true. Um, but we select these movies at random, and I obviously mentioned the stuff. Great double feature, potentially, with Halloween 3. But yeah, I think these two movies together, a lot of fun. They're very different, but not like, you know, they're both horror movies. They're both, there's a few, but it's it's kind of like the stuff is a little, it's a little sillier. A little, as as kind of like the follow-up, Halloween 2 is a pretty serious movie, as far as like a serious horror movie, not a lot of comic relief, with the exception of the Ben Tramer scene, which is one of the funniest scenes ever. But then like the stuff is as like a follow-up is just like a goofier, sillier, but also more thought-provoking in, in kind of a weird way too. So I like them. I like them as a double feature, two 80s horror classics. Yeah. I agree. That's a... Uh... Pretty good summary, my friend. All right. Well, Josh, thank you again for joining me. Well, I'll be back whenever you want. Absolutely. You're, uh, well, apparently I don't want you to talk about Halloween 3 now. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of that conversation in the future. I could probably do a rewatch to <laughs> reshape the vision. <laughs> I think it's a solid movie. But at any rate, here's what we're doing next week. I'm joined again by a repeat guest as we've got Feck who was featured on our Grizzly Vice Academy episode. He will be here joining us, joining me to talk about Brian De Palma's body double and the film Ghoulies. You know, kind of an interesting mid-80s double feature there. So be sure to check that out next week and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Drive-In Podcast. Check out our Patreon if you so desire to hear our commentary tracks for Saw Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, Freddy vs. Jason, and other films. Thanks again, Josh, and thank you, listeners. Shout out to all the listeners. Catch you next time. Be well. Stay spooky.